You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning, Redemption. How are we doing? Good. We're going to keep trying out this standing thing as I'm getting stronger, as God's strengthening me. So we'll see how long I stand today. If this is your first time here and you're visiting, we want you to know as a church that we are super excited to continue to move forward as a church and coming together unified around our mission statement. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at our mission statement. I try to have something to unify around to start with in every single series. And so we're going to look at that mission statement right now. And here it is. It says, Redemption City Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through gospel-centered worship, service, covenant family, and multiplication. We, we kind of broke that down um, a couple weeks ago in more pieces. We are resolved to risk our comfort so that we might reach our city with a message that can release freedom in Jesus in order that many, many would experience a redeemed life in Christ. And so again, these four R's, these risk, redeem, reach, and release, these are what we want to do as a covenant family. We want to be risking things in our lives. Are you doing that? Are you reaching out in your community, starting with right in your neighborhood, right? That was one of the biggest lessons that I learned from one of my neighbors in Stockton, California. And um, he just kind of set, um, saw me walking out one day and he's like, hey, Brandon, you're a dynamic young youth pastor, 23 years old. And I just want to know that every time you drive across the city to go help all these young people, do you cross over your own neighborhood? And it was a very convicting morning for me and it changed things. I mean, my wife sat down and we're like, uh, maybe we should talk to some people right in our neighborhood. Are you releasing things that God has done in you for other people? Are you proclaiming what God has done in your life? And then finally, are you positioning your life in a way where you can see the redemption that God's given you for other people. And so as a covenant family, this is our hope. We want to come together. We want to, we want to prepare to do that. And we want to be propelled to do that for others. And so here's that, that same question that we've been kind of talking about. And I want you to take this seriously for your own life. And here it is. Are you faithfully colliding your story? Is this what you're doing? Are you faithfully colliding your story with this mission? All right, and so we looked at the four ways you can do that. We're gonna go through them a little quicker because we've already done that. Here's the four ways we want you to get in the game to do that. Okay, here's the first one. By sowing seeds of membership and discipleship, right? We talked about that. Taking a step, um, leaping into this covenant community because this is one of the things that God prescribes in scripture. So are you doing that? And then discipleship. Are you being discipled? And is someone discipling you? You need it happening from both ends, right? So you want someone leaning into you and, and loving on you and teaching you and mentoring you, challenging you where you need to be challenging your life. But then are you doing that for someone else? That's how you can get in the game at Redemption City Church. And we want to encourage you to do that. You can also do that by sowing regular seeds of offering and tithing. Real quick to our sermon on offering and tithing. Offering is what you give out of the overflow of your heart. Tithing is what you give out of your um, trust trust in God with that 10%. Are you doing both, right? We talked about giving beyond 
the tithe. So that's one way you can get into the game at Redemption City Church. We're hoping that you get in the game in all four ways. Here's, here's number three. By sowing seeds of regular serving and glad participation. Right. And so are you serving and are you doing that with a joyful heart? There are many things that we need in a, in a church plant. And I want you to explore whether you're a member or not. How can I serve? How, where can I give? And then finally, are you sowing seeds of regular prayer and fasting? Probably one of the hardest things to do um, as we're taking our steps and growing in maturity is, man, praying, right? It's, even as a pastor, it's one of my weaker disciplines, spending time in prayer with the Lord. Are we praying and asking God to do the things? I mean, think about this. If we come to church, we serve all of our time, we give all our money, but we don't invite God into that in prayer, we're missing the mark. Are you as a covenant member, are you as an attender? praying for this church as a family. And so these are the things we want to start to do. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open it up to, we know what book, the, uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter two today, focusing on verses 11 through 22 in just a little bit. And as we continue forward, I want to remind everyone that um, really this whole series is called the Ephesians series, moving from our story right? Which is how we like to do things, which doesn't lead well into God's story when God takes over our life. And it's all about discovering who we get the opportunity to be as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. And so um, last week in part nine, we had it at Pastor Jack's house. If you weren't there, the, the message was titled from death to life, from grace through faith, right? And so we talked about understanding what is our spiritual condition, like literally um, in chapter two, verses one through three, if you weren't here, it says we get a spiritual diagnosis and it's that we are so dead to rights. We're dead. God doesn't owe us anything. And so um, we explore the gravity of what these sins and these transgressions are in our life and how it affects us. But then as we moved deeper into the sermon, we saw that God had some great promises despite being dead to rights. And so that brings us to today. This morning's message, part 10, is titled, A Better Way Forward for Humanity in Christ. So this is all about discovering what is the better way forward for all of humanity and what is the better way forward for us as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. And so remember, no matter who you are, no matter if you've been a part of the Ephesians series since part one, no matter if you've studied Ephesians a whole bunch of times or today is the first time you're opening up your Bible to Ephesians, it is truly my hope that you have an encounter in Ephesians with God like you've never had before. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to jump, we're going to jump like literally right in. We're going to kind of set up a framework and then we're going to pray and, and, and we're going to see what God does. Okay, so let's jump right into Ephesians chapter two in your Bible's verse, um, in, in verse 11, just shortly. And so the goal is to remember that the rest of this chapter, verses 11 through 22, we're going to spend about 50 minutes or so, if, if I can stay focused, and we're going to see what God is doing. Now, remember in the first 10 verses, okay, in chapter 2, Paul's explaining how God acted. You remember that? He explained how God acted in the particular ways that he did. So remember, we were stuck, stalled, and stagnant, but then God acted. We were considered as filthy as dirty rags, but then God, he, he intervened and he acted. We were doomed to stay in total enslavement to our sexual sin, but then God intervened and he acted. We were robbed of any ability to have joy and satisfaction, but then God, he acted. That's that but, that the but God, right? We were left in our shame and our misery. Think about your life right now. Don't, don't, don't tune out. Your shame, your misery, your mistakes, your problems in life. But then God, he intervened and then he, he acted on your behalf. And then of course we were so dead to rights, right? We just talked about that. But then God, he acted. So Paul then goes on as we go deeper into that, those first 10 verses. And he says, we were made alive in Christ. Wow. And that is not of our own doing, right? But it is a gift from God, something that God did for us. So all this is happening. And so as, as Paul's wisely laying this whole thing out, he kind of crescendos now into verses 11 through 22, um, through 22 with a so what. So think of, okay, this was happening, but God did this. So today is about, so what do we do in light of that? So, so, so we're dead to rights, but God, so what does that mean for us now? So, so what do I do now that I'm saved? So what do I do? It's even for the men's dead night, right? So what do we do now that we have these blessings? And what are these good works being described in verse 10? So let's go back and look at verse 10 right now. And this is verse 10. From, this is the last verse from last week. For we are his 
workmanship. What a word, workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what kind of works? What kind of works? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are these good works exactly? Hmm. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I, I know that I want to be doing the things that God's called me to do in my life. I want to be doing whatever these, these good works are, right? I mean, that's what I want. I'm hoping that's what you want. I don't want to accidentally be doing someone else's job. I don't want someone else to accidentally be doing my job. I just want to know what my job is, and I want to know what a good work is so I can get on with it, right? What are these good works? And so for us to figure out what these good works are, we're going to have to now move into verse 11 and 12, okay? See how we're doing? We're kind of painting, walking through Scripture faithfully. So let's look at uh, verses 11 through 12 now. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, I love therefore, therefore, because of everything that's been said, you were so dead, you were so this, you were so that, but then God intervened. He did all these things. Therefore, remember. Everybody say remember. 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 Say remember. remember. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by his hands okay he is clarifying that he is talking about the gentiles i added that in there so you know okay remember that you were at that time meaning before christ separated from christ don't forget that alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without god in the world man i don't know about you but that sounds Terrible. We were without God, without a hope. What does it even mean to be without Christ? What does it mean to have no God and to have no hope? So here's the, let's look at the terrible condition of being without Christ. We have to understand what this means, okay? So when you are without Christ, it means that you are without spiritual blessings. Okay, that's the first one for your handout. When you do not have God and you have no hope, you have no opportunity for spiritual blessings. You, you, you have no hope of being chosen, no hope of being adopted, no hope of being forever wealthy, no hope. When you're without Christ, you have no light in you. What is light? Light is the ability to know what is right, what is true according to God. You have none. Okay, when you have no hope and you are without Christ, you have no peace. Uh, 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 I, I, I've had seasons of peace without God. No, you didn't. You had, you had times of where you, where you were not recognizing how dead to rights you were. And that's why it did not last. You do not have lasting peace without God. To be, with, to be without Christ is to be without rest. That feeling of never being satisfied. That is a symptom of not having God. Okay? To be without safety. All right? Not feeling safe is a symptom of not having God or, your, or, or not feeling like your family is safe. Like you can't trust anything. You can't trust anybody with your kids. Yes, we want to be in today's world. We want to be safe. Right. But that that overwhelming I can't trust anything is a symptom of no God. That God is going to ultimately take care of your even your children to be without Christ is to be without hope. You can't even dream. I can't tell you how many people I've had pastoral counseling, life coaching with, and the biggest thing I want to do is just knock them upside the head and say, why can't you dream again? I'm 55. Why can't you dream at 55? I I, I did this. Why can't you dream in light of that? I made this mistake and I've been through two divorces. Why can't you dream again? Oh, I messed up and now I have two. Well, why can't you dream for for God to send you someone suitable? Well, I already have kids. Well, why can't you dream for God to send someone to help you raise that kid? No hope is a symptom of no God. And then finally, to be without um, God or Christ is to be without a prophet, without a priest, without a king, and without a savior. And that is terrible, terrible news. So being without Christ is terrible enough in and of itself. And that is what Paul was reminding the Gentiles, that they're, to, hey, be reminded not only about this whole dead of rights thing, not only what God's done, but remember, remember who you were before you did not have God, and therefore he's reminding us, hey, 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 Redemption City Church, remember who you were before you had God in your life. Okay, so let's, let's keep marching. Let's go to verse 13 through the rest of 22. Well, and we're not even doing anything yet. I'm just kind of setting the stage. We're just 30,000 foot perspective, okay? Uh, here's the word of the Lord. But now, oh, we got another but now. So we got first, first you're dead or rights, but God did this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of the commandments expressing ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. What in the world? So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, not two, not three, not four, not ten, one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hmm. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you, to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, these are Paul's kind of final thoughts. Verses 13 through 22, these are his final thoughts regarding what, has, what God has done in us, what God is doing through us, and what God is trying to do right now among us. So let's pray and let's see all that God has for us. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, the only name, as we study your word together, I pray that it would find good soil, that it would then lead to great depths in our heart, that it would then lead to strong roots, Lord, and that it would then lead to powerful growth in our lives, Father God, and then it would lead to beautiful fruit, Lord, that would then lead to changed lives. I pray that today, Lord, your word would be powerful and that it would be clear, it would be true, and you would give it to me as well. Lord, let me be anointed and let that anointing come from grace, not nothing that I've earned or prepared for, but instead let it be an example of your favor and your kindness on me. Lord, you know exactly in my own life, the weaknesses that I've had. You know exactly this week, Lord, the trials that I've had. Let it be on clear display that I am a vessel to be used by you and you alone. It's in your beautiful name. We pray. Amen. Now, I, I don't know about you, but don't you just love when you can understand the purpose for something? Like when you can just know this is what the purpose is for that. Um, like it actually makes sense. Like, for example, uh, like, you know, that little pocket that I got one on here. Oh, there it is. This, this little pocket right here. You know, so I'm, I'm probably out of the screen. That's fine. <laughs> but there's a little pocket, not the big pocket, the little pocket. You ever wonder what that's for? I don't know. I sit around like that. I'm kind of like ADD. I'm like, what is this little pocket for? You know, is it for like little pennies or, or little quarters? I thought about that. So I, I, I figured I should probably look that up. Google. All <laughs> right. Well, what is the little pocket for? Well, what, what I found out is this little pocket was first developed by the company Levi for Levi jeans. And so they had really stylish jeans. And so the purpose of this little pocket was you had these little watches. Okay. And the watch had a chain and you would put the chain part on the little, the little vest part, like if you're wearing a dress shirt with little suspender straps and you would clip it on. And then the little chain would, would have a little watch on the end. And then you would put your watch in here uh, for men. So then you would pull out your little watch out of the little pocket. You see, you flip open the little watch, put it away, stick it in the little pocket. So it's not for quarters guys. It's not for little pennies. You can't put your phone in there. The phone's too big. It's for, it's for watches that hook up to a little suspender. Isn't that crazy? And so knowing what it is for, it was kind of like, wow, now I know how to use it. I'm not going to go buy one, but now I know the purpose for it. Right. And so isn't it the same in our lives though? When we can figure out what our purpose is for something and why it exists, we can have that moment where we say, oh, I get it now. Now I can go do something about it. I can go apply that. So in verse 11 and verse 19 that we just read, it's on the screen. It says, therefore, okay. So what Paul is doing is he's making some conclusions and applications at those moments in scripture. We're going to break this whole thing down, but stay with me at this 30,000 foot perspective in verse 11 um, and, and in verse uh, 19. That's where he's taking the time to do that. Oh, I didn't even finish reading that. That's bad. But um, that's where he's making the point to do that. And so this teaching is not going to be complicated. It's going to be something that we all can understand, but we really need to see what was happening in verses one through three, way back to understand everything we're going to talk about as we break it down. So do you remember what it says? So let's look at that now. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Remember this from last week? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So basically, Paul is laying out we talk about this, but I want to give you another way to remember it so that you can take this home with your kids and everything else. And maybe this will be etched into your mind forever. You ready? So Paul is basically saying that we are an absolute zero. Everybody say, I am, I am. a zero. Yeah. <laughs> 
have a guest like, what kind of church is it? No, no, you really are. You are an absolute zero. But, it, but, but there's good news. But then remember in verse 47, why are we talking about these verses? I thought we were doing new verses. You're not ready for the new verses. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this whole thing together. You got to get this. Verses 1 through 3, you're a zero. I'm a zero. Verse, verses 4 through 7, we get to see that though we're dead in our trespasses, God, we're, we've been made alive in God. So therefore, God is the hero. Say, God is the hero. I'm a zero, but God is a hero. <laughs> okay, and then in verses 8 through 9, Paul says that God's done all the work alone and that we had no part in it. It's a gift from God. We got to get that, right? And then finally in verse 10, he says, listen, God did the work in you. You had no part in it. Give him the glory. And out of that now, use what God has given you for others. Use what God has given you, what God has given you for others. And that is where the good works come in the good works and so then in verses 11 through 22 it's kind of being crystallized so all we're going to do now in 11 through 22 is crystallize what we've already learned so if it sounds repetitive it's because paul is being repetitive 11 through 22 is a crystallization of verses 1 through 10. so god inspires paul to use some very clear and tangible aggressive language to crystallize what's already been said in the first 10 verses. So he lays out these good works, which are going to be for Jews and Gentiles. These good works are going to be both for Jews and Gentiles. And then he shares how that now these good works are going to impact our lives thousands of years later. So all this conflict and division amongst people, races and sizes and colors and interests, Paul says they all go away in Christ. Okay? They all go away in Christ. There's no separation from people, races, nothing, once, once Christ gets involved. Paul is saying that middle, that, that we, what we just read, that middle dividing wall has been shattered, broken, put down because Christ is now involved. And so that's what's most important that I want you to be thinking about throughout this whole t- uh, 10 verses from a 30,000 foot perspective. So here is your first takeaway. In Christ, the middle dividing wall has been completely torn down. Therefore, all conflict and division between people goes away in Christ. You are free to shift your energy away from division and towards good works. That, that is good, good news. So if you are truly in a relationship with Jesus and he's done that work in you, he now wants to do a great work through you. And one of the things he wants you to start to do is to be more kind, more generous, more good, more accepting, less judgmental, non-critical, non-racist, non-sexist. These are, the, these are some of these good works God wants to see come out of you. Not because of some culture movement, some, some new like, oh, uh, oh, a new, uh, I'll do this, or not because secular media, not because Red Cross says so, but because of Christ. He wants it to come out of your relationship with Christ. And we need to understand that we've been crafted and adopted this workmanship thing we're gonna look at, crafted and adopted far beyond any family we have on earth. And did you know that while Paul is saying all of these things, he's doing this from prison, hold this intention. Now he's literally in prison because he's been accused of breaking these very things we're talking about. So, so let me remind you. So Paul is in prison. We talked about this in Ephesians part one, uh, part one from Ephesians chapter one, because he's accused of taking one of his Gentile homies, basically, on the other side in the temple. So the temple's divided. There's a literal wall. Jews worship over here. Gentiles, you worship over here. And Paul was accused of taking his Gentile homie on the Jew side. And Paul's like, Paul didn't do that, but he did have a relationship with Gentiles. And basically what he's saying is, hey, I'm in prison because I'm breaking down these walls and we need to stop acting like this. We need to stop acting like this. Don't do this. Now, this is so important because, hey, guys, we, are, we all desire to be good Christians and to do good works, but we also live in Oregon. And this is going to be true of Oregon, Idaho, Washington. I don't, this is a very, let's say, undiversified couple states, right? Now, we as a church, we, we, we're, we're, we're pretty multicultural for our church, but when you look at the landscape of living in Oregon and Washington, you're going to see not a lot of diversity. Uh, but did you know that the world is a lot bigger? Did you know the world is a lot bigger than Oregon? Did you know that? Did you know that Oregon is not the whole planet? Did you know that? It's really not, okay? Um, in fact, if you just, even my context, I come from a 
this is really strange for me. I come from such a different place, right? So I just want you to know that, that the world is bigger than Oregon. Um, did you know that if you traveled around the whole world, that you would see people of different sizes and shapes and colors and smells and everything else? You know that? It, it's, it's a really, really big world out there. And if we're not careful, we will accidentally fall into the thinking that we are the in people out here and everybody else is out. Or, or, or that America is the in people and everybody else is the out people. And Paul's saying, hey, hey, don't, don't do that. Do not do that. So let's look now. Let's see if you can see more in verses 11 and 12. We're going to be all up in the text today. That's all I can do today. So here we go. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands which is made in the flesh by hands. So before getting into anything uh, about being unified, he's calling them to remember who they were before Christ. So this is an invitation for us as well to remember our own situation before Jesus. Remember that, do you remember before you had Christ, how it was basically about what you wanted? Like, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. And I want this, so I'm going to do this. I don't want this, I'm not going to do that. But now we belong to Christ. We put down our desires because of Christ. So I want to be honest with you. Before, now that we are in Christ or a slave to Christ, we move from this is what I want Jesus to this is what you want Jesus. We move from this is what I want Jesus to this is what you want for me, Jesus. We should be saying things like this. God, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be in a right relationship with you. You give me the opportunity to have hope, peace, love. You, give me, you let me be chosen, adopted. You give me opportunity for eternal life. And out of that, tell me what you, want, what you want me to do with my life. See what I'm saying? Tell me what you want me to do with my life. So when it says in verse 10 again, that we are literally God's workmanship, we're literally his project. We are literally a project that God is shaping and making it all for himself to display to the world. This one is mine. We're his workmanship. So here's the real question. If God is literally shaping us like his personal God project, and, he's, and, and, and the whole point of the project is for us to be the displayers of this good work, here's the question. Do you believe that you are living in such a way that you are a good workmanship project from God for the world to greatly and clearly see his desires played out? I want you to, I want you to put that answer, whatever you think in your gut, you don't need to think about it. Are you living in a way where the world, someone from the world could see you and say, oh, that's, that, that's, that, that's God's man, <laughs> that, that's God's woman. This person has the evidence that they are a project by God. Hold that, hold whatever your answer is in tension for the rest of the sermon, okay? Now, the goal is that we, that we would be very diversified and unified. Hold that there. I'm, I'm going to bring us all together. The goal of what God desires, okay, is that we would be diversified yet unified. Everybody say diversified. Diversified. Yet unified. And here, here, pay attention, the world is working so hard at that. Think about it. Think about it. Think about the media and everything. It's working so hard at that. The world is trying so hard to bring together diversity in a type of unity, but they can't because they're trying to do it without God. Think about it. Think about every commercial, everything you're seeing in the media right now. The world's running around trying to bring unity, trying to stop world wars all the time. They're trying to be peacemakers. They're trying to bring, um, you know, uh, openness, unity, doesn't matter what sex you are. They're trying the best they can to bring unity, but they can't because, because they, don't, they don't have God in it. But God is screaming this in scripture. I've already done all this. I've already done all this. It's been done through me. What you're trying so hard to do, I've already prescribed away. But when we remove God from our lives and our nation, and our thoughts and our actions, we are left in absolute, utter chaos every single time, every single time. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on the whole circumcision and non-circumcision thing in verses 11 and 22, but I do want to say a couple of things to be faithful. So basically, if you were circumcised, it meant you were a Jew. 
And if you were uncircumcised, it meant that you were anyone else that's not a Jew. Okay, so whether you are a Samaritan or a Chaldean or Babylonian, Canaanite, Roman, you were considered uncircumcised. If you were Jewish, you were circumcised. All right, so now um, let's, let's look at verse 11 and 12 together. Let's see if we can keep on building that some more. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, everybody who's not a Jew, that's us, okay, in the flesh called the uncircumcised or uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Ready? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. What's this covenant of promise? Having no hope and without God in the world. Now, remember when we first opened up in the prayer, I talked about that terrible news of being without Christ. Literally, there's nothing scarier than to be without Christ, which is now being talked about because now we're kind of going through the verses. Boom, boom, boom. There's nothing scarier. Do you remember what you were like before you had a Christ, how screwed up you were, how you thought and how you acted? I'll, let's go on that journey right now, mentally. Remember who you were without Christ and the things that you were doing. But with Christ comes forgiveness to all those things you're thinking about. A new joy. You remember that joy. It may be stale right now. You may be stuck, stone, stagnant, but you remember the joy of your first time coming back to Christ and that peace and that assurance and that hope you had in, in the faith that was germinating, that love, that power. Remember that and the direction that he was giving you. You may have gotten off that direction, but you remember the direction God was speaking to you. So he, Paul goes on and describes in verse 12 that we were literally aliens and strangers now. Now, question, how far are aliens typically thought about? When we think about a UFO, we usually think of them as galaxies away, right? That's what I do. Like a, a UFO, an alien is galaxies away. So Paul's saying that's how far we were from Christ. We were, we were universes and galaxies away from him. That's why, see the dramatic, this is what I mean by, he's giving us, he's giving us dramatic language to just illustrate verses 1 through 10 again. We already learned this. Now, are you trying to see how the Bible is written? Are you seeing how Paul's working? He already laid this whole thing out in the first 10 verses, and now he's illustrating it with imagery so we don't miss anything. And, and he's doing a great job of that. He's a great pastor. So Paul's saying, we were as far as universes apart from Christ, and uh, yet God brought us near. And we're going to look at that in a minute. Now, let me say a quick word about Jews and Israel and God's chosen people, because all these things are being brought up in the text. Um, there's a lot to talk about in these 10 verses. So let me say a quick word. Do you actually know why God chose the people of Israel to be his chosen people? Some of you who love to study. Do you know why God chose Israel and not in another nation? Anybody? Neither do I. <laughs> Neither do I. No, but seriously, that's the, I think that's the whole point. He chose them because he wanted to. God is God. This is super important. He chose them because he wanted to, and he's God. You just got to understand that. You got to accept that. They are normal people. Israel's a normal place with normal problems. Secular, very secular country right now. Please know that. But by God's grace, they are his chosen people. It's not because they are better or do better. Don't think that the people of Israel right now are better or do better or have ever been better or have ever done better. They have not. It's because God's only thing is this. God chose them to illustrate his salvation plan. That's why. Now, it's not about them. Remember, it's never about us. It's never about them. God chose them to illustrate something bigger and beyond them. And through Christ, he's extended that salvation plan beyond Jews and Israel to all of us. And we all get to come unto the Lord and say, yes, Lord, um, to what he commands. Therefore, God's whole point of salvation is not about Israel. It's time to know that. It's not about Jews. It's not about Israel. It's about God. God is for God. He's lifting up his name, his glory, his renown. And that is an important thing to know. So remember, God is the hero. Everybody else, including the Israelites, are a zero without Christ. But in Christ, we all get to be heroes alongside of him. So not only were we aliens and strangers without any covenant, we were also without hope, it says, and without God. Now, let's just have some real talk right now. We all have fears and struggles, don't we? We all know what it feels like to have a little separation from God and to have no hope. I mean, we're living in a world that's filled with earthquakes and tornadoes, helicopter accidents that rock our world and our, and our culture when famous people die and death and illnesses and sicknesses. But we as Christians, we're supposed to have hope. They were supposed to have God. Like literally, this is not a fake hope and we do not serve a fake God. Like it doesn't matter what happens in our lives. 
we are guaranteed to make it, even if we don't make it with breath because of God. That is our hope. And that's not going to happen because you have money. This is me transitioning. <laughs> that is not going to happen because of family. That's not going to happen because of money. It's not going to happen because of your career. So my question to you is, where's your hope? Thank you, Aron, making your job hard today. <laughs> Where is your hope? Because what Paul wants you and I to really think about is that no matter what's going on in our lives, if our hope is not in God, then our hope is in a place that will not secure us. And it is promised to disappoint us. So this is the core problem, say folks with me, with all the governments. Look, I'm going everywhere today, but it's all in the text. This is, what, this is the core problem of governments and agencies and institutions and all of it in our country today. I'm not going to have a political conversation. I'm going to have a Bible conversation. All of our systems and institutions, the core problem with not having a unified morality is because we do not primarily submit to God. Primarily, our government and institutions do not prescribe to God. And we're trying, or they're trying to do it their own way. And when you try to do things without God, it's just not going to work. I'm going to say it again. When you try to do it without God, it's just not going to work. So if you've ever wondered why there's so much corruption, you've ever thought, especially younger people, like, why is there so much drama on CNN all the time? Why is there so much drama in the politics? Well, well, listen, when you are trying to do things and that you don't have God, you're going to have problems. Now, don't get me wrong. There's great individuals who love God in politics. There's great individuals who love God in the government. But as a whole, there's been a checking God at the door mentality in our country. And that will always lead to corruption, dissension, division, and problems. God is the only author of true unity that lasts because he does it in a different way than what we think. So now let's talk about you and I on a personal level, on a personal level. If you want to have more peace, more love, more hope for your life, then get more of God, not more stuff, not more family time, not more career time, not more money, not more materialism. You need more God. Say repeat after me. If I want more peace, I need to get more of God. <laughs> so if you, if you're struggling your finances, put God in your finances. Okay. If you're struggling in your marriage, put God in your marriage more. If you're struggling in your parenting, you need more God in your parenting. Not 15 more books. You need to get on your knees. You need more God. If you're struggling with your job, you need more God in your job. Now, there's always the more question. How do I do that? Well, folks, it's Sunday morning. Discipleship. You got it. Well, you know. Let's meet over coffee or something. Think about this. Think about it this way. If God literally made the world and he did, he did. And he literally made us and he did. And he says, let's just do like a little, like a little skin. He goes, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's all do this thing together. I've made the world. I've made you. I'm God. Let's do this together. But then we as humanity, we say, uh, mm, we got this God. No, thank you. We appreciate the offer, but we're going to kind of run the ship of our lives ourselves. And then, and then God's like, well, do, do you really know all that, all that goes into the works of all this? Uh, are you sure you don't want me kind of, kind of show you how to have the joy and peace that I created? Cause I create the world and you do, I'm sure how this works. And we respond as humanity. Oh yeah, we already know what to do. And if we don't, we'll figure it out. We really need your help. You know, toodaloo. Like it, this is how we act, right? Like that's crazy. He, he made the world. He made us. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to show us how to, how to do it. And we're like, no, we got it on our own. Like that, that, that's crazy. It's bonkers. It's ridiculous. And we don't know why we struggle because we want to do it on our, on our, on our own. And to do it on our own is absolutely terrible because we can't do anything on our own. We need God. In fact, Psalms chapter 14, verse one, this won't be on the screen for you. It says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what a fool is. God made me, he made the world, but there's no God. That's a fool. And we see that within our own homes, right? Let me watch this illustration. So I want you to get this. This, 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 this Bible thing is not too hard. We're going to make it simple. The simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the epistles, the simplicity of all things. And so we see this in our home. Like we literally feed our kids every day, right? And if you stop, the, I'm not talking about your 16, 17 year old, but like think about the purity of my example. If you stop feeding your kid, he's going to die. She's going to die. She has to be fed. He has to be fed to sustain. You tracking? But then all of a sudden they get a little older and then they're like, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I, I'll come back when I'm starving. Figuratively, right? They want to play until they're starving. You should eat 
is two test lunch. I want to play my video games and they, and they don't come until they're starving. But also figuratively, they don't come until they're starving, don't they? They, they? they leave home, they go to college, they do what they're doing and they won't come until they're starving in their hearts. Um, but when they're not starving, I'm content, I don't need you. And the tragic reality is some of us are walking around like that in this church claiming the same with Jesus, his church, and the leaders he's provided over us saying, I don't need you to feed me. And I don't need the people you've called to feed me. And I don't need any leaders over me feeding me. I don't need, I don't need or want your wisdom. Um, not right now. I'll come back when I'm starving. My life is completely crap. I'll come. But right now I'm not starving. I'm content. So I don't, I don't want counsel from scripture. I don't want to talk to your pastors. I don't, I don't want to be discipled. I don't want to do righteous things. I don't want to be faithful. I don't want to interact with you. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Like a little kid. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I'm not hungry. Right? That's how we act. Listen to me. Those people who are living that way, they're going to die. That's what scripture says. And if you're living that way, scripture says you're going to die. You're going to die if you continue to only interact with your heavenly father and what he says when you are starving. That is not a right relationship with God. Let's move on to verse 13 or we're not going to make it to the chapter. Oh my goodness. All right. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What? So all of a sudden Paul's saying it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to remain far off. You've been brought near. He says that we were so, even though we were so far off, we've been brought close to God. So act like it. Act like you've been brought near to God. This is only possible through the blood of Christ. So when his blood literally poured out of his wrist and those thorns oozing out of his head and out of his side, when all that happened, it was satisfying the very, the very holiness and the wrath of God on your behalf and on my behalf. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, did you know he only said seven things? I'll, <clears throat> yeah, I was having a hard time this week with my sermon prep. And then this is like a little moment for me. Cool moment. He only said seven things. Let me start off by telling you what he didn't say. Okay. He, he, he didn't say, Father, help them. He didn't say, Father, comfort them. He didn't say, Father, strengthen them. He didn't say, Father, teach them. None of that came out of Jesus. Okay. Timeout moment. Like when I used to be a youth pastor. Uh-oh. Don't, don't tune out on me. Let's make the Bible come to life. Boom. Cross. Calvary whipping flesh coming off this man's body perfect sinless blameless made no mistakes on a cross blood coming out of his wrist pour it oozing out of his head pain weakness mom mother crying weeping can't do nothing disciples everybody's there all knowing he didn't do anything wrong the whole point he knows the point the whole point on the cross is to have this moment to intercede for us what does he intercede and do he does not intercede and say, Father, help. He doesn't say comfort. He doesn't say strengthen. He doesn't say teach. He doesn't do any of that. That's what we want the story to be. That's what the world tries to make God out to be. But instead, Jesus says to the Father this in seven, basically seven words. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That's powerful. Jesus knew we didn't need a pat on our back. It's not what he died to do. Isn't that crazy? Can we go to church to get our pat on the back? It's okay. God gods this. Jesus loves you. It's okay. But, but Jesus didn't come to give pats on the back. He came to give forgiveness through his blood so we could draw near to him. So here's my question to you. And it's the most important question of the day. It's going to be on the screen. Do you feel near to God right now? Because he did a big thing for you to feel, to be able to be near to him. Do you feel near to God? And then my next question is why? Why do you feel near? Or why don't you? I'm going to help you out. I'm your pastor. <laughs> I'm going to tell you some reasons why. If you're in the no category and you don't feel near to God, if you're being honest with yourself, I'm going to tell you that it's going to be one of these seven things. Or a combination. Or them all. <laughs> all right. So are you presently sinning in your life right now? Sinning means you're doing things that are not of God. 
If you are, it will be hard to feel near to God. The blood did cover. The blood is good. The blood is permanent. But you may be blocking your ability to interact with the blood because of your sin. Stop doing that. Are you den- Here's another category. Are you not in discipleship? If you are not in a covenantal design of how he's created you to live, you're going to have a hard time feeling near to God without that type of community and mentorship. So, yeah, think about that. Here's another one. Are you gossiping and slandering? It's going to be really hard to feel near to God. If you are speaking unwell about other people, it will be difficult for you. Are you denying the voice of the Lord? So the Lord's giving you some things to do and you're just not doing them. You will have a hard time feeling near to God. I'm just not sure what God's asking me to do. If it's a, if it's, if it's the smallest whisper and you're not being faithful with that whisper, you're going to have a hard time hearing him louder. Those who are faithful with little will be entrusted with much. You don't respond to the little whisper of God. You won't hear the loud voice of God. Folks, that's how it works. Be faithful with the whisper of God if you want to hear God scream. Are you rejecting God? Period. You're not going to feel near to God. Are you denying your purpose and your call? I don't even know what it is. Can't get lost in that. Are you denying your purpose and your call? It's going to be hard to feel near to God. And finally, are you lying? (laughs) Are you spending time lying in your life? It's going to be hard to feel near to God. I believe that if you're not near to God, you have found your place in one of those or more. So this is super important. First, you need to understand that you were brought near to God by the blood of Christ, not your works. But out of that truth, listen, you need to believe and you need to act upon that belief and move away from denying his voice, move away from self-sufficiency. You need to move away from rejecting and lying all the time. You need to move away from denying who God's called you to be. Act right. And you need to stop doing these things. You need to stop it right now. You need to stop it right now. Not by your effort, but by faith, because you're playing a dangerous game um, because tomorrow's not promised. You need to get acting on that today. Now, listen to me super well right now, okay? It doesn't matter if you go sip on your coffee and do your Debo's and curl up on a couch. That's not going to save you. It doesn't matter if you get your coffee and your Devo plan and you, I learned my 13 verses today, honey boo. Did you do yours? That's not going to save you. Stop teaching your children that too when they watch. Like, like he's, not, he's not a genie in a lamp. I do this and then I'm fixed. It's not going to save you. Uh, trying to do a bunch of good works is not going to save you. You need to fully interact with the blood of Christ that moves you from being far off to near, which means you need your heart to break. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's look at verse 14. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to have peace in your life and in your relationship, I don't know if that I do. If you want peace in your life and in all the relationships that you have, we don't find that primarily by what primarily we have a part, but we don't find that primarily by what we do or don't do. This is where the world gets it wrong. We're always trying to fix it in our actions. That's not primarily where you get it fixed at. All you have to do is have be married and to know that's not true. Right. In law. Oh, you guys are not being not in-laws colliding you can't there's not there's not enough actions that are going to fix these problems okay so primarily it's not about your actions it's not by the law it's by jesus he is our peace this is super deep this is what it's saying in verse 14 our peace is not money it's not relationships not actions, not careers it's god god unifies it it's the peace and we know this is true right think about this maybe this through your parents I don't know your narrative. Think about it. Is it your parents, your family, friends? Somewhere in all of this, you know that they, made good, they make good money, they have a pretty good life, have good kids, but, 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 but they're not really at peace. How do you know that? Because you're praying for them, right? You wish they had more of God. You see they're longing for something beyond the money. And you don't even know how to help your mom and dad. You don't even know how to help your friend, but you can see it in them, right? Don't, pick, don't do the one with like, oh, my friend who's on drugs. No, no. The friend that has it all together, you see they're longing for something, right? You see they're not content, right? You see, they're looking for deeper peace, right? It comes from God. Now, did you know that the Gentiles literally had no morals or no rules? They had, they, there's no, they had nothing. They literally made things up as they went. 
like, oh, this is what I think today. Uh, and don't raise your hand to this one. I don't want to expose anybody. But remember how fun that was when you were without Christ to make up your own rules? Internally, I know you guys are like, oh, yeah, I remember. I do. Uh, today is important to be faithful, so I will. Tomorrow, I don't really want to be faithful, so I won't. Uh, today, uh, I want to be serious about my life, so I'm going to do that. But tomorrow, I just want to be young. I want to play. Um, well, the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says don't make up your own rules. The Bible tells us that making up your own rules is only fun for a little bit. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, it says that sin is enjoyable for a season. You know this verse? Sin is enjoyable for a season, but in the end, it, it yields death. Wow. So for you who are thinking that if I just do everything right, this is really important, right? This is, this is super important for verse 14 and where we're about to go. So if this is you, if I do everything right long enough, and I know there's people that kind of fall into this trap, I'm, I'm going to have peace. You won't. It doesn't matter how perfectly you try to do everything in the Bible. You won't have peace that way. You'll be disappointed. You'll be miserable and you'll be left without Jesus. Scripture calls that legalism. I got something else to say though. But if you are the one that says, I can just abuse grace and mercy whenever I want and do whatever I want when I want, you're going to be left disappointed, miserable, and without Jesus. And scripture calls you a rebel of God. Okay? So both are not going to work. But the brother or the sister who keeps his mind on Christ will have peace. When your mind is on Christ, you will have peace. In fact, Isaiah chapter 26 says, he who has his mind stayed upon the Lord will be kept in perfect peace. Are you seeing the narrative? Isaiah, Hebrew, it's all saying the same thing. Your peace is in God. Now let's see what's happening in verse 15 and 16. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So there's, there's all of us. We're all different. We're all diversified, but somehow we're all going to come together into one. So, so making place and might reconcile us both to God in one, not 15 bodies, in, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, so I want you to see this. The creator reconciles creation. Say the creator, creator. reconciles Reconcile. creation. creation. That's how it works. There's no other way. Or, or how about this one? The infinite the infinite reconciles the finite. Everybody says, the infinite, the infinite reconciles, reconciles the, finite. the finite. We're the finite. There's no other way. That's how it works. Now, there's some other good stuff here that's going on in verses 15 through 16. There's really good stuff. Like, look at these words. It's power, flesh, body, cross, killing, hostility. Whoa. Uh, those are some crazy words that are here. It's a lot of stuff right here. But... You spend some time studying on your own, but what I do want you to know in all this flesh, killing, cross, I'm going to say it a couple more times and get this cross, killing, hostility, flesh. Christ is in an all out galactic battle for me and you. And by the way, he won handedly. This is what Paul's doing. He's not saying anything different than verses one through 10. He's just being dramatic. Okay. Cross, killing, mm, rated R. This is how Christ has done it for you. It should pump you up. Okay. Ephesians 17. I mean, I can make it all like super seminary and systematic, but this, it's funner what I just said. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Oh, I really like verse 17. Uh, think about it. Jesus came and he saw the legalistic Jew, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of them, right? He saw them and he said, and he preached peace. It's not about what they were doing. It's about what he was doing. You, you still tracking with me in the Gospels? He came to these legalistic people and he preached peace. But he also came to the rebel Gentile. The rebel Gentiles who were doing anything and everything they wanted to, like the women at the well and all that kind of stuff. And he came and he said the same thing. I, I come to preach peace. Oh my goodness. It was not about what they were doing wrong either. It's about what God was going to do. It wasn't about what the legalist people were doing right. It wasn't about what the immoral people were doing wrong. It was always about what God was about to do. And he was going to bring peace. Therefore, he's talking to those who are far or near, high or low, good or bad, male or female, all people. He brings peace. Ephesians 18. There's, there's more there too. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay. 
I can sit here for an hour, but I'm not going to do that. Now, the fact that God has reconciled reconciled us to himself is already a good and amazing thing, right? That's already a good and amazing thing. But what I need us to understand is that we're not only being saved in this picture right here vertically. I want, do you see that? Okay, let me say it again. For through him, we both have access. We, we, more people have access in one spirit. We come together as one spirit in the father. This, this, this is big. So he's just as concerned with our relationship being reconciled as us being horizontally reconciled. That is the big project, folks. That is the workmanship. God wants us to be reconciled to each other as believers because we got divided in sin. Reconciling with the Father, reconciling horizontally. Now let's, rep, let's try to wrap this up. Verses 19 through 22 right now. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now uh there's a lot in here so doesn't doesn't it kind of suck to be the stranger? <laughs> or the new kid. You ever been that before? Maybe you haven't. I, I've been that before. When you're the stranger or the new kid in a school, city, whatever, or church, everyone thinks you're kind of weird because you are. You're out of place and we don't know what to do with you. You don't know what to do with yourself. But what Paul is saying in this scripture is that you no longer have to feel like the new kid on the block. You no longer need to feel like you're the stranger. So even though people are so different, this is so super important. People are so different. We're all different. We don't have to be considered strange. We're not strangers anymore. Now, now we have the same bloodline in Christ. Now we have the same hope, the same destination, same destination point of eternity. So this is really important. I want to make this come down for us practically. This is, this is preaching, exhorting. So those of us who have a hard time dwelling in church, because we're always kind of trying to find our exact cup of tea, like people who are just like us, who fit together, like, like if we're constantly going to spend our time thinking about like, who would be, is this a church where like, are these people who I'd like have a fun time with on a Tuesday night? Like stop looking for people that are just like you and then everything's perfect in the aesthetics. Get out of your comfort zone. Grow like Jesus is asking you to grow. Don't get distracted by those things because that's not what God is primarily asking us to do. There's this, there's this bigger picture he wants us to do. He wants us to come together in our diversity and be unified. There's something to behold with people that are utterly different than you. Now, I won't have a bunch of time to really develop all of these 19 to 22 uh, through 22 and break each part down. But this is where I want to take one final moment to encourage us as a church family to really begin connecting together, guys. Like you don't need to wait for the church to do that for you. You don't need to wait for a text message to say that we have our small group launching. Like seriously, just don't wait on the church. You don't need an official small group to call and to get together and to start working through your life and Bible and colliding it. Remember we talked about discipling and mentoring, who, who, who's doing that? Like be a pursuer, like spin. We, we, we didn't all the way walk through verses 19 to 22. I could have said more about verse 16. I could say more always. I've already shown you, I can preach for an hour on one verse, Ephesians chapter one, verse one. There's always more to happen. Get going. Call up, call up your sister or brother in the Lord. Call up your, and especially if you don't understand it all, who's that mentor? Who's discipling you? Sit down over coffee. Say, hey, would you like to get together this week? I want to keep marching through verses 19 through 22. Let's, could you help me with that mentor or whatever you call this person? Get in the game. Because there's important things that are still in here that I hope you can find and discover. But let me, let me, be, let me be a good pastor and, and give you kind of the, the overarching narrative of 19 to 22, and then we're going to pray. Basically, what Paul is saying in these verses is that we are of the same household. We are of the same project. We, there's only one project God's working out, and we're all on that same project. That's how we come together. Now, by our music, talents, preferences, we come together. Pastor Jack alluded to it earlier, like, oh, I wouldn't know any of you. Only one of you. I know the lovely Brie. I say love. That's, that's, that's her name. So the lovely Brie, but everybody else, I wouldn't really know. But then he said, but I do know you. But now I'm saying, Pastor Brandon's wife saying it. He knows you because you guys are joined in the same project that he's on. The God project. 
the workmanship project. And that's what we unify around. And that this project is being built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. <sighs> There's a lot there. That's, that's the old and the new. Te mm. um, <clears throat> so this project is being built upon what was proclaimed in the Old Testament. Paul, is so, he's such a good pastor. So the, he's saying, hey, hey, this whole Bible is legitimate. And this whole thing is being built upon the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament scripture. And, oh, by the way, it's all held together by the cornerstone, Jesus. Now, cornerstone means the, is, is literally what they used, building-wise, as the stone that holds together all the other stones. You still tracking with me? So he's saying, hey, you're unified with all people who are in Jesus because we're on the same project. This project was established by the prophets and the apostles and is held together by Christ. That is good news. That is who Jesus is for us. Now we get to be released to run free and wild in Christ. And I'm hoping that we do that. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, are overwhelmed with how good you are and how great your word is. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have inspired Paul to be so thorough in describing